This life tried to turn me to a savage, and the devil tried to tell me that I'm average, and the pressure tried to put me in a casket. I went diamond, 24 carat. <laughs> All right. So what's going on there? It's like, so John. Meth, weed, Jesus, and mortality. In this episode of Testimony Musician Story, one-fourth of indie tribe Mowgli the Iceberg shares his Christian testimony. Mowgli discusses his dealing with the concept of mortality after his mom passed away when he was 12. We discuss struggling with race and identity as a half-Mexican and German growing up in Tennessee. Additionally, Mowgli shares his thoughts on Christian rapper Rockstar JT tweeting that he smokes weed. I'm Gaelica Brown, and this is Sound Seekers Presents Testimony, a Musician's Story. Hey, uh, I'm Mowgli the Iceberg, and this is my testimony. And let's start with your first music memory, whether it be a song, music video, concert, what's the first memory that comes to mind? I think the first music memory that I have is uh, being in the back seat of my parents' car, just listening to the radio. Um, I'm not sure. So I, I must have probably been maybe, gosh, maybe like six or seven. Mm-hmm. That's like the, that's that's as far back as my memory goes. Because I'm just trying to think of the songs that were like on the radio. There there was a couple that just like stuck in my head like crazy uh like the, i think some of my favorite songs from back then were three doors down kryptonite a couple bon jovi songs okay. uh there's that it's it's my life oh yeah um, and uh then whenever uh blue by eiffel 65 came out i was mm, i was done okay okay that um <laughs> that gives me like a good I can picture that era. I remember that time. Right, right. Well, I mean, you know, music was different back then. Like Definitely. the radio was really, really important, you know, because especially being like a little kid, it's like it was basically whatever came on the radio, which was normally controlled by your parents. Yes. Or, you know, whatever your parents would happen to let you buy for you at a store. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, it was actually really cool. My parents were my parents were both musicians, and um, I think letting me have like expressive and like um, agency in my own musical taste was really important to them. So they got me a little little boombox when I was really young, probably like maybe seven or eight, and uh, they just got a big box of like single tapes. Um, oh. So like it, but just from all different genres. So, I mean, they got me Prince and like Boys to Men and also like Pearl Jam and like NSYNC. Like there was like, there was just every, all the things that were like popping at that time from all these different genres, they, they got me just a little taste and then they let me kind of just discover and see what I grad like naturally gravitated to. So I think that was really cool of them. So that you had your own, like, who are those? This is, what is it like? This is music now. They kept making the different. Yeah, the now that's what I call music. <laughs> yeah. It's been going on. There's probably like 500 volumes by now. Yeah, but... they're still making them. I don't, I'm, I don't know how fruitful that is anymore, but. I know, right? We have playlists. You really don't need that anymore. Right. Hey, but they were, they were low key the first playlists. They were for real. Like I got the playlists on CD. <laughs> <laughs> And those singles, like, you can just play the heck out of them singles with the different, like, remixes or just the instrumentals. And this is that yeah, one no. song that have, like, six tracks on it. And it's crazy because, I mean, even around that time, um, you know, people still sold cassette tapes as, as well as CDs. But, like, for me, I would have to save up my allowance to buy music and stuff. So, like, the cassette tape was less convenient, but the CDs were just too expensive. CDs were, like, 20 bucks. Yeah, they were super expensive back then. <laughs> you so, were a baller if you had a CD. You know? And a disc man that skipped. Like, you couldn't work out with your disc man. <laughs> you no, didn't have to steal and listen. <laughs> not at all. Okay. So, where were you re- born and raised? 
So I was born uh, in Long Beach, California. Okay. Um, but my family moved to Tennessee when I was really long, young. So I grew up like most of my early childhood in uh, a place called Crossville, Tennessee. That's kind of uh, between Nashville and Nos- Knoxville, very rural, very small, uh, not a lot going on there. Uh, eventually we moved to Knoxville, Tennessee. So I like grew up most of like my adolescence in around Knoxville. And then I, uh, moved to Nashville for college Okay. and I basically spent like my entire adult life in Nashville. Okay. So basically Cali born, but Tennessee raised. Right. Right. So, and, um, Maybe, maybe to some people, I have a little bit of a country accent. I don't think I do, but my California family would insist otherwise. Um, <laughs> but, you know, even growing up in Tennessee, I was raised like in a, like a little island of like Californian, like Mexican-American culture. Okay. So like, my, my family is like, I'm, I'm half Mexican. Okay. Um, so there was this, that little pocket of culture that I was, I was raised in. Okay. Okay. And you said your parents were musicians. Um, but was it also a Christian household? Yeah. Yeah. And my parents are actually Christian artists. Um, you know, obviously things are different at that time, but you know, they had a CD, they had a song on the radio for a little bit. Like, so I remember being, uh, you know, really little, just going with them, they'd like perform at churches and stuff. And I'd just kind of come along and sit quietly and patiently. <laughs> Did you have siblings? No, no, I was the only child growing up. You have to just sit there quietly and patiently. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so were your parents, um, did they meet doing music and Kind of. Uh, yeah. I mean, music was like, I actually think my dad first kind of got to know my mom, like by recording her like in the late eighties. Um, so, uh, that was like always like a very central part of their, their relationship. Um, I think that as time went on, especially like having a young family, having a child and stuff that, that became very strenuous on them. So, you know, uh, eventually, you know, like music became less of the focus. And my dad had uh, had like a day job and everything that just became like more and more just the main thing. Um, my mom actually passed away right before I turned 12. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that, so it was just me and my dad for a little bit. And then my dad had, eventually got remarried and so I have like a stepmother now and two like step siblings have a blended family situation um but yeah that's kind of the okay background for my childhood sorry to hear about the passing of your mom um I mean what kind of effect did that have on you as a 12 year old so I think that that's like a very pivotal time because it's like kind of the start of like adolescence and stuff uh I I certainly felt very mature Mm -hmm. uh during that time although looking back I was like geez I was really really young but um I don't know I think I think for me it was like just a big harsh slap of reality Mm -hmm. you know because for me I've always been a very deep thinking person so even from a young age, I've con- I've spent a lot of time just like contemplating like mortality and death and our place in the world and the fact that you know it's not everybody else that you see are actual people. They're not just like background characters in your life, you know. So um, I-, I think for for as young as I was, I had a very mature kind of outlook on it. But that I think it definitely kind of kind of made me grow up faster um i think it definitely kind of hardened me as an individual um yeah do you mind if i ask what she passed away from yeah it was a. it was kind of a total fluke she she died from a uh, heart attack at 40 years old um otherwise healthy person um 
you know, there, 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 there's some details as to why it happened. Um, but you know, it was just something that nobody saw coming and it was just happened kind of immediately and without warning, okay. which yeah. I also like the, the nature of that, you know, like it'd be different if it was like a long-term illness yeah. or even something like a car accident, yeah. you know, um, it, it really, I think that really kind of puts perspective on how, uh, little control we can have about our own lives and futures and the lives of others you know so like my mom was 40 years old I think a lot of people a lot of people that I know have never like even into fairly deep into adulthood have never really experienced death in a close way so a lot of people just think that like life goes on forever but I remember like when I was 20 years old, I was like, you know, I bet my mom didn't think that she was halfway done with her life, Mm-mm, you know, sure. yeah. but, and, but, and she was lucky enough to live that long. Yeah. You know, like the same thing there, 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 there are things that happen to that to kids and teenagers and, you know, you, you just never really know. So um, I think that, I think it kind of motivates me because I know that, you know, I, I don't think I take life for granted. Yeah. And I don't feel, I don't know. I, I, it makes me count my blessings a lot because as, as, as hard as that is, it's like, I also see that there's so many other things that afflict other people that are a lot worse and a lot more trying. So um, it, it definitely, I think it makes me humbled and thankful for sure. Um, I mean, that is a lot to deal with. It kind of, I don't know. Because your music is like, it's kind of kind of emo, but I oh, see yeah. your, <laughs> the, your background like kind of feeds into that. So to me. Oh, it's yeah. Crazy. Well, I mean, like, I think for as long as I can remember, I've always been kind of pessimistic, too. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe that was like a forming event into that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know that reality can be really, really rough sometimes. I mean, that's true. So, and then, and then you know how that, how that, how that also works, you know, with faith and and everything, because it's like I remember even as it happened, the day it happened, I was like, well, I've thought about this in regards to other people, like I've. I'm well aware of the extent of suffering that exists in the world. Mm-hmm. And I'm well aware that God like allows that to happen. Mm-hmm. So I, I never really went super into like, I'm mad at God because I just knew that that was irrational. Well, right on. I mean, that's, you know, you. but it, it, it does, it, it, it does kind of temper other expectations, you know, um, <laughs> like for, for so a theological implication to that for example has been i've o- i've always been like very resilient to uh like ideas of like prosperity gospel mm-hmm. <laughs> you know when, when, when somebody like promises that things are like all going to be good i'm like okay well like yes god has our eternal good in mind but like look around the world like yeah does god not also love people in afghanistan right now yeah exactly or haiti yeah you know so so yeah it's like there there's no promise that this life is going to be comfortable or easy or just or anything he even says that in the bible especially if you follow (laughs) look at like the disciples as well as jesus like you know what i'm saying yeah so at 12 years old, where was your faith? Um, I think it was, it was very just trying to, I don't think it was my own yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like my, my, I think I got most of my ideas from my parents. I've always been like a pretty critical thinker. Um, but yeah, it didn't really, I, I hadn't yet really taken or had the opportunity to super question and critically look at 
despite what I believed Mm -hmm. um, or be exposed to competing beliefs (laughs) Um, and make a decision that was like totally my own. I think that that came more in uh, the early years of college for me. Okay. So between 12 and college, how was, how was your life then? Um, as far as how were you living in it? Yeah. So I, I mean, definitely there was always like a conviction between like what I think, I think the way that my faith and my life worked between that time, especially if we're looking at like middle school and high school, I saw like my convictions from my faith as constantly being in friction with just like how I wanted to live my life and the things I wanted to do and the scenes I wanted to blend in with. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was like, it was, it it was there as a conviction and as like a limiter, like I'm not going to fully go crazy, sometimes fully go crazy, Mm -hmm. but like, I still felt a conviction. Like, I think that this is, I'm pretty sure that this is wrong, but also like looking for ways to invalidate that yeah you know to to so i i think that was trying to where all of that was but um it took me it definitely took me till college and really deciding for myself what i believed in and what i choose to have faith in for me to look at things from like following God out of trust and love for God mm-hmm. instead of just like a, a rule set that's like punitive. So what do you think, happened? Sense. like what happened in college to where it became real to you? Um, I think that really, I just had a lot of really good relationships that cultivated um, a very sp- safe space for me to like ask questions mm-hmm. and explore my own beliefs. And there, there are a lot of people that um, were further along in their walk that had, that could point me in compelling directions mm-hmm. for, for those answers. And that's when I, I really kind of began to just like lay out the evidence for, for all types of different faiths and worldviews. I mean, I remember in, in, there was a brief amount of time before college that I was like very curious about Islam. Um, there was another two period where I was like very diving into like Hinduism and stuff just because I was like, I want to know. Yeah. I don't think a billion people over here are just dumb. Yeah. So I want to know why they believe what they believe and what's the substance to it. So I think when I, when I was able to have like a good amount of understanding of all these different beliefs and then seeing, I I say like the evidence for me just tends to stack where it's like, okay, this is a particular worldview that answers a lot of very important unanswerable questions and it also seems to complement the convictions that are in my heart mm-hmm. in terms of morality mm-hmm. okay. so so basically college you gave your life to christ and it's it's been about christ since yeah so well i think what's what's been another huge part of it too has just been like uh how music has interacted with that because um for a long time especially in that figuring out phase i was like kind of making positive music Mm -hmm. but like i felt like um that there was no way to really, I felt like there was no way I could actually succeed in music if I was like just outright Christian. Okay. Yeah. And, and so I was kind of like walking this kind of line where I'd have kind of a foot. I was just like, it was very lukewarm. It was very kind of like 
um, just trying to be on both sides of the fence, just straddling. Mm -hmm. And I was, I began to like be in more situations and more and more opportunities where I, it just became clear to me that that straddling was just not good for anybody. Mm -hmm. I was like, look, like I'm not actually going to achieve any type of mainstream success in this kind of inhibited straddling state. Like if if I, if I want to be in this crowd with this people, I need to do these drugs and I need to do with these people at these locations. And I'm like, well, that's just, I'm, I'm not going to do that. That's not something I'm willing to do. Um, and it's not me. So it was kind of funny. I remember even like this, where I was when I was having this epiphany and this conversation with, with some of my friends. And I remember telling them, I'm like, well, you know, I guess music will just always kind of just be a hobby for me, but at least like I will feel good about myself and I won't feel, I won't feel inauthentic or like I compromised what I believe in. Um, and around that time, one of my friends started, uh, he had actually just put me on Andy Minio. Andy Minio had just put out heroes for sale and I was like really impressed. I was like, Whoa, this guy's really talented and wow, it sounds really good. And wow, these producers are like really going in. Oh, dang, these people are really going crazy. Yeah. So, so it was like, I, I kind of, from that, it's like I discovered like rapzilla.com and like all these underground artists. And not too long after that, um, I had some friends that were also friends with Derek Minor because mm-hmm. we went to the same college in Murfreesboro. Um, not too long after that, I met No Big Dill, who was at the time doing merch for Derek Minor. Mm. Um, and we just connected. Like he knew who I was from music that I'd done on campus and stuff. And we were kind of just like the only people that we knew that were like willing to commit a certain level of excellence to music, but we're also just like we can be we're just going to be unashamed about what we believe in because actually most of the artists that we knew in college were Christians. Okay. But, but most of them were just doing this watered down thing and just kind of tiptoeing the same way. And, and Dill used to do the same thing, you know? So we kind of just met each other at this time. And I just think it's really ironic that it was like after this huge humbling moment that I just desired decided to like give up a career desire in order to make a particular type of music, Yeah, you know, that that became like the most pivotal, pivotal, fruitful thing that I ever did. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. And we'll definitely get more into the music. Um, I do want to kind of talk about, um, I had a question. So your mom, you said you're half Mexican. Who was Mexican? So my mom. Yeah. So, and I actually, both sides of my family had, had like Mexican. My dad's side was more of like a Spaniard Mexican. So it's like, you know, Mexican is like a, it's a, it's a, nationality and then there's ethnicities with that and then there's all the racial constructs so like like my dad's grandma was like blue eyes fair skin spaniard living in mexico okay still 100 percent mexican right whereas my mom's side of the family was actually native american from the Southwest United States. And, you know, like my great, great grandfather was actually an Aztec native. So like there, so, so there's like, there's a difference between the two, but then both, both, both my parents. So we're just um, this Southern California, like Latin American influenced hodgepodge, you know, that just kind of like everybody kind of was, from that place at that time. Yeah. That ended up in Tennessee. Um, Right. Right. Yeah. We ended up in Tennessee. So I'm just wondering like how that all mixed, like when your mom passed away and you're in the middle of Tennessee, I can't imagine I've only been to Nashville like a few times a long time ago. Mm -hmm. 
but um i know it's not like california i'm from california, california. okay what part sacramento so up north, okay. um, yeah 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 and right now i'm actually in atlanta so yeah in california you know i grew up with mexicans uh-huh. and being out here in atlanta um it's a little different. Maintenance. It's it's very different. And the maintenance guy, he saw my license plate and he's like, oh, you're from California. I'm like, yeah. He's like, there's a lot of Mexicans out there, right? I'm like, yeah. Well, for context, there's way <laughs> more Mexicans in Atlanta than uh-huh. there are in Middle Tennessee. Oh, really? Way okay. more. And in Middle Tennessee, there's way more diversity than there is in East Tennessee and East Tennessee, there's a way more diversity than there is in the middle of nowhere or Crossville, Tennessee. So like, it's really interesting because like the dynamics of, of being like a majority and minority can have such profound differences, even in state to state. Whereas like in, in California, there's a lot of people that are just like me that are both Mexican and German. Like that's a specific thing, you know, and there's tons of us. And that's just, it's so norm. It's so normal that those people are just like white. Yeah. And then you go to, you go to Tennessee and there's like nobody like there, the school that I went to, including me had like, four or five Latin kids in our grade, mm-hmm. you know, in a school of 1200 people. Yeah. You know, so, so in that context, I'm the Mexican. Yeah. In that situation, <laughs> you know, so it's like people are very keen on the differences. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I, I think, and I think especially like, because like, uh, Mexicans and Hispanics, this, they, by definition, they're like a, they're like a hybrid people. Like it causes like some very, uh, I, I think you have to think critically about the way that, that we talk about like race in the United States, because it's like, you never fit into a box. Yeah. And even on like the censuses and school tests and stuff, it's like they change. The categories actually change where it's like they'll 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 take put Hispanic and put that in the ethnicity column, but then that's different than the race column, but everybody yeah. wants to talk about it. Like, you know, it's all it's all messy. Yeah, so my curiosity was just like how was that growing up for you? And if it like if there were any like race or just identity issues and struggles. Yeah, well, you know, I think that especially I think I've kind of like understood more looking back as I'm older Mm -hmm. um because there were things that I would just see and you know when you're a little kid you're just like you're just learning and you don't really have context for anything (laughs) you know beyond just what your parents are able to put to you on like the most explicit like terms so like um I think my mom was really intentional about about educating me on like prejudice and like the history of prejudice in the United States, like what that, what that looks like. But at the end of the day that like God loves everybody in spite of that. Um, So like really I didn't start really thinking about it or like noticing it so much until like high school mm-hmm. and, and especially in college, like that's where, like, I just, I think in, in pursuit of like the, the, the answer to like my own identity, like I dove really, really heavy into like anthropology and, and like critical studies and all of that. <laughs> okay. All right. So how would you say God's presence looks like in your life personally, just outside of the music, just personally? I think that, I think so for, and this has been a pattern of, for like the last, I don't know, at this point, maybe, maybe like six years that like every couple years, like I kind of go, like I've, I've been going through several 
like deconstruction and reconstruction processes mm-hmm. of like, it's like, okay, let's look at everything that I believe. And then let's re- just take all of these to scripture. Let's take all of these tr- as tradition and, and back to like early church tradition. And let's see how many of these things that I've believed are actually like cultural dogmas mm-hmm. and how many of them are like hard truth. Mm-hmm. And like, so, so I've gone through like three of those processes and each time I think I get a little bit more agnostic about what I believe in a lot of things, but I also get a lot more certain about what I believe in others or like, you know, call them like the fundamentals, if you will. Okay. Um, so like, I think the way that I experience God the most now is is how I see other people mm-hmm. and how, and the tension I feel between sometimes my knee jerk reaction, how I want to treat somebody else and like knowing like, okay, but this is how God views that person. And this is, this is what, how God views this person. Mm-hmm. So like, all right, pump the brakes, maybe, have a little bit more grace, maybe have a little bit more understanding, maybe try loving this person and like understanding, like if this person knew what I knew or had experienced what I have experienced when it comes to God, maybe they wouldn't be doing what they're doing right now. Yeah. You know? So I, I think that's, that's where I experience God the most is honestly just like, through my interactions with other people, how I see other people, and then consequently how I choose to treat other people. Okay. We're going to move on to hot topics. It's usually what's trending on Twitter. Okay. um, So it's kind of usually on the entertainment world on a national scale, but in the HH world, it kind of got stuck there off of a tweet that, uh, Rockstar JT posted. I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with Rockstar JT. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I don't know if you're familiar with the tweet that he did today, but he said, I smoke weed and I don't got to hide it. I still love God. It helps me operate. That's it. And mm-hmm. then the response is there was, of course, there's a huge thread going back and forth. Um, like some people are like, it's okay. At least you're honest with yourself in the world. But truth is, when you become more intimate with God, a lot of desires die. One of them is the strong affinity with weed. I used to be a heavy stoner, too, and I loved it. Um, And his reply to that was, no, I've been saved since 2013. Me and God are close, and I'm so good with smoking. Y'all overthinking this. Um, Mm -hmm. Dang, I smoke. Leave it alone. Someone else says, like, keeping it real doesn't mean it's wise to say um, if you're atheist friend does this why not keep it that way between both of you you chose a topic of controversy and decided to tweet um and some people are like you know you're a youth leader and what about the next generation and then others are like um thank you for your honesty like it makes no difference i still like your music so um i know in your song back then you talked about smoking weed and like some fatal accidental overdose woke you up but my question is, regardless of if he smokes or not, was it even necessary to post, especially without explaining like how it helps him operate? <laughs> I think I think lots of what Rockstar JT posts is very unnecessary to post. Okay. <laughs> There's a blanket rule specifically okay. with him. But um I mean, I think on on the other side though, I think that it's important to not sweep like controversial issues under the rug. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I I think especially with areas like nuance is very important. And, and one of the things that I've, I've learned is that some things are even better, like uh, saved for a dialogue and not a monologue. So generally Twitter, I mean, you can have a dialogue on Twitter. I don't recommend it. Um, like better better off for like long form or interpersonal discussions i think um 
but most of the time when you're when you're tweeting you're just putting one thing one directional into the world and people don't have tone with it it's hard for them to discern your heart like you really there's a there's an art to using twitter in a healthy and wise way um but with that said like i don't think that um we should shy away from talking about in general like these things and and so i mean that's specifically with weed for me like um i think i take a pretty nuanced view of it uh i think there's a lot of loaded societal implications on what we consider to be a drug and what we consider to be um a uh a pharmaceutical or 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 a uh, i'm thinking a, a supplement right okay you know yeah. so so i mean caffeine is definitely a drug it's yeah. definitely 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 a drug we view it more as a supplement yeah. and at the same time like you know i think that some people like take this argument that everything that god created is inherently good well it's like god created a lot of plants that will kill you yeah <laughs> you know so like, i think everything has its purpose not everything has a purpose that means to be consumed mm -hmm. um so you know like i i think that there's a lot of people that find it very beneficial there's a lot of people that find it extremely detrimental mm -hmm. i think the same thing could thing could be said for alcohol mm -hmm. um i think the th thing same thing to different circumstances should be could be described for processed sugar you know um not everything is wise for everybody but um you know the scriptures very much do talk about like uh avoiding things that alter our ability to make sound judgments and yeah. bring us out of our character so if weed is causing you to do that or causing somebody else to do that then i think that's a problem um but I also I'm not a fan of a lot of people that have never experienced something like weed, just like telling all these other people that have had positive experiences that this is absolutely in, inexcusable and you're definitely going to hell for it. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not with that either. I think there are things that we can we can look back and see like, yeah, OK, methamphetamine, 95 percent of 99 percent of scenarios, not something that you should do. But even methamphetamine had a purpose like we we created that in World War Two to help create soldiers that were almost certainly going to die, mm -hmm. stay up and fight for 72 hours straight. Yeah. So if I'm a soldier in World War Two and I got to get through this forest and I'm probably going to die, definitely going to die if I'm sleepy. Give me the meth. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Give me the give me the go go pill. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's a very that's such a limited use case, but yeah. it's still a use everything in context, you know, so um, we we have freedom to do everything. Not everything is beneficial and all of that just requires context. Well said. That was really well said. <laughs> I can't um, believe I just made the case for doing meth. <laughs> I just the, the Christian you case. Really made it, you made it for specifically soldiers back in Vietnam. Right, right, right. But you know, it's the same thing with opiates. You know, like, no, I don't think that you should be take, taking fentanyl. No. But like, like you're you're definitely going to die if you just do this yourself. But there are circumstances where they're doing some sort of surgery on you. And you know what? The mo the best way to numb you in this pharmaceutically, uh, surgically prescribed manner to yeah. get you through this surgery is going to be this drug. That's why it exists, yeah. you know? So, yeah. And moving forward back to, um, to music now. So you went to... Um, I'm sorry, your college, Middle, middle Tennessee, middle Tennessee University. University. Yep. Is, now, I know that's, is it just like a music school or music so business? It's, or? A, it's the biggest state school in Tennessee, but they're known primarily for their aerospace program and their recording uh, program. Okay. So 
like because they're a public school, there are a couple other schools that have like very prestigious recording programs, but they're all private. Mm-hmm. So like as a public school, which obviously changes like the financial situations, right, for people to go there, like they're far ahead of like music business recording industry. Um, so there's actually there's been a lot of people specifically associated with Christian hip hop that have gone to MTSU. Um, yeah. Me and Bill met there. Derek Minor is a MTSU alumni. Um, I think Lecrae even went there for like a semester. Um, Street Symphony went there recently. Tay Keith he 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 was a uh, he he was at MTSU the whole time. He was producing his like crazy hits for Drake and stuff. Okay. Um, he didn't drop out. He finished. <laughs> yeah. So my because I'm just wondering too because I've talked to a lot of artists who went there, but it's not a Christian school or anything, right? No. No. Yeah. Interesting. So while you were there, you ended up hooking up with No Big Deal. And when does like Indie Tribe form? How does that? Yeah. So very like the right, right when I met him, like he was right in the process of being like, man, I'm really going to take this music seriously. I've got this song, a couple songs that I'm waiting to drop. I'm not trying to do a music video for that. And he, at that time, already had this, like, broad concept of, like, Indie Tribe as, like, this move, like, this this movement, this kind of, like, support system with, like, between supporters and creatives. So it was, like, a very loose construct at, at that time. And... um I, I, I've learned to do a lot of things music related for myself. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I would offer him, I'm like, Hey, if you need a place to record, you can come record at my spot. Uh, or, Hey, I produce these travel tracks. Do you want to hop on one of these? Or, you know, so like I was kind of just like peripherally helping him just create music at that time. And then like, I started to put out my own music as well. And it was all just coming around at the same time. And like, it was kind of a natural thing that we just ended up like integrating with each other very heavy on multiple levels. And like, we became like ultimately just like the the champions for this, this thing that, that we, we just called Indie Tribe. And as time went on, we decided to like refine it more and more. Uh, originally, you know, we added Jerry Mana, then later What Up RG. And uh, that kind of refined it into something that's like a collective. Yeah. That people, people knew it as. But then, like, the most recent iteration when we added John Keith and Michael, like, we, I think we've just refined and defined it more and more to I I think where it's it's kind of matured at this point I mean it's definitely matured especially since you guys are able to put on a whole festival and (laughs) (laughs) it's wild yeah (laughs) how was that experience that just even putting it together and then seeing the fruition of it it's 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 really I mean like there's so many things that have been happening and even more things that are happening after that that are just like very crazy perspective moments um i mean like we we definitely feel like what we're doing for some reason it's it's working it's connecting really well um we feel like god's favor is on it behind it um there's i mean there's so many conversations (laughs) things that we've had that we will remember from like a long time ago and the perspective just seeing some of these things to fruition you know even like andy coming out as like a special guest you know uh it's like things like that are just like very very crazy Uh, i mean especially that's like full circle for you then because the problem you heard was heroes for sale totally yeah yeah (laughs) so it's like you know, before before like the indie tribe said, I'm just chilling back kind. We're just kind of talking, hanging out. It's it's just all it's all very very surreal, very cool. That's awesome. I mean, especially to kind of see like how it's really launched. Like everyone who's part of indie tribe, whether they're still part of the collective or they you know went and did their own thing, like Jerry Mana, 
Um, was Paris Carrez officially indie tribe? Never was. Never was. Okay. But um, like Jerry and Paris are like yeah tight, tight, tight. So <laughs> like that, he's always been like a very close friend, very closely affiliated. But yeah, just to see the platforms that you all have developed on your own as well as the collective, it's it's pretty amazing to see. Yeah. So um, how would you personally describe your music? Because um, uh, like on your website, it says like you can either be singing, rapping or screaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think I'm a I'm a very eclectic person. Um, like I, I, I'm always like trying to do something different. So like, as I'm exploring myself and my own musical taste and my own talents, like I'm, I'm always just trying to do something different. So, um, the, the way I'll say it is like this, I think that, I think musicians and artists are just super crazy music fans that we're just no longer satisfied listening to music. <laughs> so eventually it's like, there's like a, there's a sound that's in my head. That's like, call it the perfect song. Mm-hmm. And every song that I like, it's like, I'm discovering what that perfect song is. Mm-hmm. So it's like the artists that I like, I'm listening to them because they're the closest thing to what I know I want to hear, but can't articulate it yet. Mm -hmm. So in the same way, making music, it's like, I'm just trying to get closer and closer to actually articulating Mm -hmm. this special personal music that's in my head that I'm searching for and all this other music, but doesn't exist. Yeah. And I, I, I think, I think, I think most artists are, are, doing that in some way or another i mean that makes sense it totally does (laughs) and then moving on to our four song breakdown where the artist either raps recites a verse or discusses what's going on between the lines of the song story um i chose four songs from the upper hand album indie tribe but top down outside 24 and saltwater if you don't mind choosing a verse or obviously your verse yeah so i'll I'll do uh i'll do i'll do the verse from 24k okay um so do you want me to just do like a breakdown of it or like yeah if you don't mind either reciting or rapping or singing whatever it is um it and then breaking it down okay okay cool cool cool. all right so my verse is i've been a hell and back i lost my path but it's all behind me i struggle with my heart i kept my scars please don't remind me i put that first 20 down you know i'm really committed yeah i put any amount because the value's infinite there ain't no turning back now the whole community in it and i ain't better let them down with the nonsense i've been down real bad but i'm all bright quit i've been lay out flat but what's up now i got praises stuck coming on my list it's a holy flats where i'm at now this life tried to turn me to a savage, and the devil tried to tell me that I'm average, and the pressure tried to put me in a casket. I went diamond, 24 carat. <laughs> All right. So what's going on there? It's like, so John originally wrote the hook, sent it to me. Um, so he wrote the, this life tried to turn me to a savage. I immediately uh, just gravitated onto that concept. And what what I was like, you know, I wrote this verse in like 15 minutes came super, super quickly. And this was like one of the last songs that we were doing for the Indie Tribe album where we already knew so many things were coming. We're having all these big full circle moments. So it was like, this song was like a a point of like reflection on like all this sacrifice and pain that I've like been through and pursued this music finally kind of coming to fruition and seeing how it's actually like we knew it's like we were making these songs it's like a lot of people are going to listen to these a lot of people are going to be impacted by this so um i was also in the process of of, uh buying a house 
when when this came in so like i was like all in like real estate mode so that's what some of those songs like i put that first 20 down you know i'm really committed yeah i pay any amount because the value is infinite so like like in nashville housing prices are going crazy right now i'm still buying it because i know that the value is so high like even though like the prices are going crazy it's like the value that it brings to me still makes sense it still makes sense so it's like all this sacrifice all that I'm doing, like I am invested into this. And despite this extreme cost, like I'm willing to do this because this is like what I feel like this is what like God is like doing in my life. Yeah. So I said, there ain't no turning back now, the whole community in it. And I ain't about to let them down with the nonsense. Also, what had just happened when I wrote that, that bar was the whole Ravi Zacharias candle. Mm. So so you have this guy that's influenced so many people. And then after his death, we find out all this terrible, damning stuff about what's going on. So it's like, I, so that was like, uh, just also a moment of reflection. It's like, man, there's a lot of people looking at me. I can't screw up in a way that can betray all these people like uh, there there are a lot of people that are like looking at at me and like being seeing me as like a role model so like, i'm i can't i can't let these people down there's too much consequence for that mm-hmm. like over something trivial over something temporary you know um so yeah that's kind of what what was going into that verse okay Sweet, 24. Um, did you have any other tracks that you wouldn't mind covering? Um, I think that's the, that's the one I really just wanted to break down. Okay. Cool, cool. Um, and how would you say that God's presence looks like in your life musically? Musically? Hmm. I think um, for me, writing is very therapeutic. So, like, sometimes... most of the time I write kind of while I'm recording. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a big part where I'm like pinning it and writing it. It's more like very, I'm I'm letting the music speak through me and then I'm evaluating my own emotions and thoughts as they're just coming out. Mm-hmm. Right. So through that, throughout that process, a lot of times like I explore things like the music will open up emotions and thoughts and then I'll explore them by trying to write this song and then it's like sometimes it's like i'm like i'm I'm thinking about things i didn't even realize are going on in my life and i'm like sometimes i'll be convicted of certain things sometimes like so i think i think the writing process can just be very powerful and uh very emotional and sometimes it's like i a lot of times that's very much in a way that just like i clarify my thoughts about like my relationship with God I know okay um I do have one just one final question but I'm sorry just one moment my grandma is here and she's kind of oh you're good I'm almost done grandma we almost over yeah I already made dinner so we're going to eat that as soon as I am done, Grandma. You don't know him. <laughs> Mowgli. Mowgli the iceberg. Mowgli. <laughs> you a little boy from the Jungle Book, all grown up, Mowgli? Is that that's you? where I get my name from. Yeah, that's that's where you get it from. From the Jungle Book. From the Jungle Book. And, and, and why why would you name yourself after the little boy from the Jungle Book, raised by animals and stuff? I didn't name myself. I was in middle school, <laughs> and I I was I was lanky and. My skin gets pretty dark in the summer, and I had a big sh- shaggy head of hair. Okay. And somebody said, "Hey, he looks looks like Mowgli from the Jungle Book." And everybody else said, 
you are absolutely correct. And this is what we're going to call you for the rest of middle and high school. <laughs> so was you also running around just in a, in a little diaper thing wrapped around you? No, no, no top, uh, no, no bottoms. Gym shorts, but, uh, okay. but yeah. So the modern equivalent, I suppose. Okay. And, and this iceberg, like, like the Titanic don't run into the iceberg. Where, where that come from? So my last name is Hornberg. And when I played basketball, we all had these stupid nicknames. Mm-hmm. And people called me Iceberg because of that, uh, which is why it's spelled B-U-R-G and not B-E-R-G. But Oh, okay. I just thought you needed a little hooked on phonics or something. Just, just thought you didn't know the correct spelling. <laughs> no, it's intentional. It's intentional. Okay. But uh, when, when I first started rapping, one of the rappers that was really popular was OJ the Juice Man. So OJ Simpson? No, no. He wasn't a rapper. <laughs> he he was a football player. Yeah. And he he was a football player who liked to play with knives and stuff, but I don't know anything about him <laughs> rapping. So well because of that I just decided that there is a format. Like I didn't want to be a little something. So mm-hmm. I want so I realized something the something could so be a name. So, okay. So I, I had these two nicknames. So I was just like, I'll just put them together and that will be my rap name. Okay. So you just wanted you a long rap name. <laughs> but it works because, listen, like if you Google Mowgli the Iceberg, there's only one thing that's going to come up. So, why well, I don't know it, nothing, it about the out in the end. Nothing, nothing about the Googles. You know, I just pull out the old encyclopedia or the phone book if I need my information. Nothing about them Googles. But, but I'm glad the Googles is working out for you now. Okay, okay. Um, Mogle, do you mind if I say a little prayer for you? Sure, 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 Grandma. All right, Lord. I, I just wanna just wanna say a little prayer for this this young man who once was a lanky little Thing who would get super dark in the summers and had a shag and like to run around with a diaper, Lord. I'm glad that he grew up into a man who wears pants and, and shirts and, and hopefully sometimes he wears button downs, Lord. He looked like he clean up nice. Lord, I, I, I thank you for letting this man mature into the iceberg that he is. I'm glad, Lord, that this man do know how to spell. He don't need him no phonics, Lord. So we can go ahead and cancel the little phonics that we was going to have sent to him because he can spell iceberg properly, Lord. So prayers to that. I also just just want to bless him and his his music ministry and in, in any endeavors that he has. He's trying to get him a house. Uh, I don't know if he got the house, Lord, but where, whatever he got, Lord, I pray that he gets it. And it's a good investment, Lord. We want good investments in your name, Lord. Lord, I appreciate this young man, whether he rapping or screaming for the name of Jesus. If you got to scream for the name of Jesus, you do it, Lord. You scream, young iceberg, you scream. All right, Lord, I pray these things, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, young man, I'm going to go ahead and get off now. I I know my daughter done, done kept you a little bit long and I was hungry. So I'm going to go get her and tell her to make me a plate. Sounds good. Get my plate, girl. I was ready for my collard greens. Don't put none of that kale up on there. I don't want no kale. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate you. This is fun. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Th- th- thanks for uh, understanding with the, the time miscommunication there. Yeah. No, I, I get it. And um, my final question, now that you've gone through this process, whose testimony mm-hmm. would you like to hear? Who would you like to see me interview? Not Clyde. I am so down for that. Yeah. Okay. Not Clyde. I really, yeah, I would really love that. Okay, cool. Let, 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 let me know if you need me to connect you guys. Oh, for sure. Thank you for that. I might reach out to you, so <laughs> I will call you up on that. Sounds good. Well- Hey, what's up? Thank you. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for watching the show. However you consume us, thank you. 
Please subscribe to the show. And if you really enjoy the content, please leave a review. It really does help with the ranking of the show. And if you want to go an extra mile, share the show, share this episode. And for all things testimony, visit testimonystories.com. Until next time, I'm Gilika Brown, the music lover constantly seeking positive music. 